Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. And I'm one of your hosts, Angie Fryermuth. And I'm Aaron Schneider. Today's guest is Dave Johnson, who is a client development manager with Houston Engineering Incorporated. Thanks for joining us here today. Uh, good morning, Aaron and Angela. Thanks for thanks for having me. So today we're going to talk a little bit about AE firms and working with the core uh, and really get Dave's perspective on that. But before we get into to hearing from Dave, really, I wanted to, to reflect a little bit. And I know in my career, working with AE firms has has been good and bad. I think there's been times where it's been really challenging because uh, sometimes you get that firm that seems to come in with a low price. And next thing you know, you get modded 50 times and there's not flexibility. And then you get other firms that come in and, you know, maybe a more reasonable price and they're a lot more flexible. And I remember as a project manager, there's times where we'd get awards and to go to a certain firm and I would cringe and be like, oh, this is going to be terrible. And you just know going into it. And then there's other times where, you know, working with Dave and the companies that he's worked with, it, it was always one of those things to celebrate. So uh, Dave is definitely one of those those good AE firms. Um, he's been a great partner for the core over the years. But uh, I think it's been a, an interesting dynamic as it you know pertains to the core uh, and the work and how we partner with AE firms. So I think you see there are lots of good, you know, pros and cons to this and challenges, but all in all, it, it's been good. And and I don't know, Angie, what's your experiences been with contractors and, and some of the challenges we faced or, or the benefits of that? Yeah. So, you know me, I'm all about partnerships. And so I, I personally think that, you know, working with AE firms, just like any other partner, communication and building trust with that partner is key. And I know that uh, that's something that you have with our guests today. I, I've heard that you guys have worked together for a very long time. And so I'm excited to hear um, some of the banter between you two and uh, just, you know, his take on how the core is working with AE firms. Yeah, Dave and I ha definitely go back, back to the beginning of my career, which has been 18 years. So, um, but Dave, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you've partnered with the core over all these years? Sure. Thanks, Aaron. I have about 32 years into the, the business now. And when Aaron and I met, I had hair. Uh, I know you won't see that in the podcast, but uh, we were joking about that earlier. That's how long we've worked together. I've been very blessed in my career. I've split about 50-50 with the state of Minnesota in various capacities, as well as working in the AE community. And in both uh, uh, areas of my career, I've been able to work with the Army Corps. Uh, one of my first jobs, I worked on the Wetland Regulatory Simplification Study, and the one-stop permit application is still in use today uh, in the state of Minnesota. All agencies use that. And I've been out after the 93 floods and the 97 floods. I managed Minnesota's flood damage program. And uh, one of the great benefits the Corps provided was we actually contracted and uh, the Corps gave us a team of value engineers. And so we were able to price check and fact check every project and application in Minnesota. And we probably saved the taxpayers tens of millions of dollars on projects that maybe needed to be modified a little bit or quite frankly in some cases weren't even valid uh, flood damages so you know that was a fabulous experience and the core just provided immeasurable uh, benefits to the state of minnesota and then as an ae you know i've uh, worked with aaron and others in the saint paul district and in districts across the country doing 205 studies 206 studies 1135s uh, congressionally authorized projects like the big fargo moorhead flood control project 
I had the great fortune of being able to work on after the era program, uh, the first design build ever by the Corps of Engineers on Lock and Dam 3, which was a really neat experience and first of its kind project. So I, uh, as a professional, I've really been able to spread my wings and really challenge myself on the, on the really cool, neat projects that you guys have. So I think that's great that you have a, a long standing history with the Corps, and I think there's something that we can really gain from you today. And so I really want to know what it what has it been like to work with the Corps for so many years at different capacities, especially in, with your AE hat on. Angie, one of the things you talked about and Aaron mentioned is uh, partnerships and, and really as an AEV, AE, as a practitioner, trying to view myself and my team as an extension of your staff and, and kind of putting our logo aside and we're working directly with you in, in a partnership. The best projects are where everybody gets together as a team and you talk through issues, what can and could go wrong and how you're gonna address it before it comes up, kind of heading things off at the pass and really getting beyond the tra transaction. I'm a consultant, you guys have work. You know, I want to do the work. I want to do the work and really getting down to how do we solve problems together and come up with the best uh, solution for the environment, for the community we're working in. Because at the end of the day, when you get to meet at the ribbon cutting, you know, if you, if you approach it that way, it's going to be a, a very happy uh, celebration at the end of the project. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think the best teams that I've worked on, you almost forget, you know, who core staff is and who contract staff is and who sponsor staff is because it's just one team. You know, you're all functioning together and the teams that haven't been as good have been the ones where it's like, oh, you're the contractor, you have to do this and you're the core, you have to do this. And it's very rigid. Uh, but when you get into that team dynamics, it, it seems to work pretty well. And I know that, you know, working with you over the years, you've worked with some really large firms, some medium sized firms and some very small firms. How has that changed um, with your interactions with the core? Was it different when you worked with a small firm and how you interacted with the core versus a large firm? Or what are the changes there? I'd like to say that it hasn't been different, but in some ways, I think it has. In some of the really large firms, I think the approach can sometimes be a little more transactional and bottom line business oriented. And, you know, you talked about getting change ordered to death. You know, a good consultant is going to work with you and come up with a scope, schedule, budget, deliverables, assumptions, and they're going to live with it. I mean, unless something forced majeure or unknown event happens that nobody could have anticipated, you know, they're not going to come back to you and say, oh, you wanted a full-size spare tire in your car. Well, that's $800 extra. You wanted a cigarette lighter or power windows, you know, it's... Uh, working together, you know, within the time frame, within the budget and the parameters that we've agreed to and, and living with it. And sometimes we get it wrong, but then it's on us to make it right and fix it to, you know, live to fight another day together on the next project. Because nobody likes change orders. I hate going to the board or supervisors and just as much as you guys do, it's terrible. Exactly. And I think, you know, good communication and partnership up front will allow us to make sure that those flexibilities are incorporated and we're able to work together. I do know that it's probably challenging working with the core just because there's so many bureaucratic processes that we work through. So I'm curious, you know, what can we do better? Yeah, I, you know, and I've gotten to see things change over the years. 
where there has been some streamlining and some of the rules and regulations. I remember back in the day, I think it was a general an MVD talking about feasibility studies being no more than three years, three inches thick and $3 million, which, you know, uh, was actually a leap forward in, in some of the uh, newer ways of approaching businesses uh, and uh, trying to streamline and simplify some of the processes. Being able to look at things and not a one size fits all approach in all of your, uh, the ER, you know, engineering regulations and rules and guidance documents that sometimes uh, the way we design it is good enough. It's it's going to manage the risk. It's going to stand the, the 20 years or 30 years that it needs to for a capital project, 50 years, and, and things are going to be okay. Sometimes we don't have to gold plate everything. That would be uh, one area that I think the core actually to their credit has recognized as an area of improvement. And, and my experience has been that you're, you're still working towards that. The other thing that's I always find interesting is that when I was in school, I learned how to drain wetlands. Now I'm working with you guys to restore wetlands, to uh, look at native and natural types of flood control and undoing trapezoidal channels that we thought were great back in the day. It's really cool to see that evolution in the core's uh, approach to the world uh, is getting back to, to nature and working with nature instead of trying to tame it. Yeah, that's a good point of working with nature and the transition that we've had kind of from those hardened channels. And, you know, I think the best example is probably thinking of the L.A. River out in L.A. It's uh, the Hollywood race cars, you know, scenes running through there. And and currently the Corps is looking to restore that project and make it more function more as a, a native environment and natural um, so it might not be back to the way it was, but it's definitely going to be better than the concrete line channel. And, you know, thinking of that and that transition and, you know, for the core to make change over time, it, it seems like it's more um, evolutionary than revolutionary. It, it tends to take us a while. But as you've seen the core changing over time, you know, what have you taken away from that or what challenges have you seen in, in the agency and its flexibilities? Well, you know, in terms of our approach to design, you know, as I alluded to earlier, we were all really good at, at treating water like a waste product and getting rid of it and sending it downstream and making it somebody else's problem. And really challenging ourselves to look at pre-development conditions and trying to find creative ways to infiltrate water, to meter releases, to use uh, less riprap and rock and concrete and you know willow wattles and soil wraps and tow wood and things like that in our approaches to stream restoration uh, we're still learning you know it's still a pretty young science and you know we've had some spectacular failures uh, but we've also had some really good successes so i think as long of us you know all of us as a community continue to test these things use all the tools in the toolbox we're going to continue to evolve the science and come up with creative ways to, to, to solve these problems and yet still get all the natural resource benefits. So you just mentioned the word failures. And, and I, I sometimes want to caution when I hear the word failure. Is it, you know, what what did you reference there? And was it really a failure or was it, you know, being more adaptive and learning through the process? And And I know there's there's maybe a fine line between those. But, you know, how have we became more of an adaptive and learning organization 
from some of these That's situations? An ex excellent question. And really, you're, you're right. It wasn't a failure. It was a way of finding out that, that something didn't quite uh, work as we intended in our design. And then we adapted in the field and changed things to match the flow regime or conditions, for example, on a stream restoration and came up with a way that that works. And then we take that knowledge and we transfer it to the next project. So, yeah, adaptive management is one area. Uh, you know, I, I, I've seen it in the Everglades and, you know, when I've worked on projects down there that the Corps has been actually very progressive about and embraced uh, wholeheartedly. So earlier you talked about tool, a toolbox. Um, and so I think uh, within the Corps, we always talk about what tools do we have in our toolbox to help others. Are there things missing from the Corps toolbox that would help us do better? Oh, that's a tough question, a good question. Actually, you know, one of the things I think that's really neat about the Corps is some of your science centers like ERDIC and other groups like that, where you're on the cutting edge of testing things. You know, one of the companies I used to work for was a beta tester of some of your uh, HEC products. And so we got to test things real life on projects. And then as a team, meet with your engineers and software designers and come up with real world tweaks to the models that actually make them uh, more representative of what's going out, on out there in the landscape. Actually, I think that's an area where the core continues to provide just tremendous benefits to all of us that, that are, are practitioners are these public domain field tested, peer tested and reviewed models and tools and applications that all of us get to use uh, in our day to day practice. Uh, you know, you get away from the black box uh, software package that somebody's selling and you know, unless you really dig in, you know, what's inside that box, it's just something in and something out on the other end and you hope it works. <laughs> so earlier you mentioned that you'd worked on one of the first design build contracts on a lock and dam. And I know you've worked on the Fargo project, which was just the first P3 project ever for the core. Um, yep. So we've got these, you know, innovative delivery tools that really hadn't been used previously. Do you think we're using them appropriately today? Like, as much as we should, or do you think we should be using some of those tools more frequently uh, based on the specific situations? Oh, great question, Aaron. I, um, you know, actually I co-authored a paper on delivery methods with a colleague from PricewaterhouseCooper. And we looked at traditional design bid build and performance with cost and schedule. We looked at design build and the various models within design build, as well as public-private partnerships. No surprise, what we found was that, you know, in order, P3 beats design build, beats traditional design bid build in terms of uh, schedule performance and cost performance almost all of the time. And we're talking on orders of 10%, 15%, 20% in some cases. I think you know, you know, in the position you're in now, Aaron, in the core, pushing more creative ways to fund projects and to complete projects, you know, the budget times, I think, at the federal level and local level coming out of, of COVID and all of this time of uncertainty really drives home the need for us to be creative in our project delivery and finding and leveraging private capital that's out there that's actually looking for investment 
and uh, returns on investment. Um, I think you know Europe and other parts of the world are still a little ahead of us in the U.S. in terms of the P3 type of model of delivery. You know, we do quite a bit in the transportation realm in uh, North America and the United States uh, in terms of design build. But I think a lot of our restoration projects, because they're adaptive in nature, lend themselves very, very well to design build methods as well as public-private partnerships. Because, you know, once when you're working on a restoration project, ideally you get things to about 30% design, and then you've engaged the contractor, you've engaged all the permitters, all of the stakeholders, and then you're kind of finalizing your design in concert with the input from all these entities and then what's going on in the field and what it's telling you as you're moving rocks around in a stream, for example, or trying to restore a wetland habitat. Uh, those things lend themselves really well to uh, getting away from just traditional design build uh, methods. So if you were in a room full of core employees um, with different backgrounds, what advice would you give them? Um, as we look to the future and working together with others. Everybody on both sides has had uh, some experiences that have gone not so well. Learn from it and in a sense, get over it. We're here to be partners and extensions of your staff to bring ideas and creativity to the table and ultimately to work within the framework that, you know, Congress has set up for you in, in some respects, you're, you're, you're what you do and how you do it is dictated by Congress and other tech memos and things like that. But within that, look at us as a partner, you know, like Aaron and I talked about as an extension of your staff so that the lines actually blur a little bit and we're just a group of pro uh, professionals in a room trying to solve a problem. Uh, that's when we're at our best, both sides. You know, if I could do nothing but core work, I'd do it in a heartbeat. That's that's how I feel about the partnerships I've had over the years. I, I love working with the core. Yeah, and I, th I think, you know, we, we've had a great relationship over the years. And, you know, if you could change one thing about the core and how we partner with AE firms, what would that be? Given that some thought, a little thing, and, and sometimes, you know, this is out of, you know, your control, you know, during the selection and procurement process, sometimes it can take a year to find out that you want a contract if there's ways to, to accelerate the process a little bit, but that's, that's minor. I think, you know, the bigger thing, having worked for a very large firm, mostly kind of large firm, and now a small firm, is that for... A lot of the smaller firms that float in that nowhere land, if you will, too small to be big, but too big to be small, is in the procurement process. If there were ways to set up contracts that when it meant full and open, it meant full and open up to say 50 million in revenue or you know, uh, to target some of the smaller AE and environmental and boutique type of firms that, that aren't an 8A, they're not a service-disabled veteran small business. You know, getting work to those is very important in the core. And other federal agencies actually do that very well. A way to find uh, or to leverage that expertise that's out there. Because in many cases, you know, stakeholder relations and communications and local knowledge is incredibly important in executing projects. All of us live and work in these communities. We've made our careers in these areas. 
And many cases, we have special local knowledge and expertise that a big uh, global firm or national firm might not have. In some respects, they're penalized for partnering with us unless it's in a joint venture type of structure because we're not a small business. And so when they give us work, they're not meeting their subcontracting goals and they get penalized for that. So if we could eliminate some of those penalties or make joint venture types of contract arrangements more acceptable because then several firms are merging to form essentially a new corporation for that contract or introducing a third layer of contracting that makes it a large business contract, but it's set aside, if you will, for that cadre of local regional firms that can do really good work. You know, every bit as good as the big national global firms, but we just don't have the resume and experience straight up to qualify under a Brooks Act selection. That would be the one big thing, I guess, if you, if you ask me. No, thanks for that, Dave. And, and really, thank you for being such a great partner over the years and for joining us here today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you and people you're interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.